Do Well or Do Good, Maslow's Theory, The Vaping Ban, and Remembering 9-11. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Yes, I have been gone far, far too long. But guess what? I'm back. And I'm back with a mission. And I'm back with a purpose. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in. In case you've forgotten, in case you haven't heard this in a long time, this is a, the show where you come for the, the accent. <laughs> Some people said they missed the French accent, so we get that one out of the way. Oh, wee, 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 wee. <laughs> and you stay for the principles, and we've got a lot of principles to talk about. Before we jump into today's show, I want to I wanna start by, from the bottom of my heart, thanking you all. Thanking you for... The outpouring of, of love and support that I received over the last, I don't know what, four, six weeks since the last show went out. I'm going to talk to you about my future and what my plan is. Cause I've got a, I've got a plan for world domination. <laughs> um, later on in the show, but it's been a tough time and I'll be fully honest with you. Am I fully 100% better? Am I good to go? No, there's still a lot of demons I need to work through, but honestly, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. I cannot be silent anymore because I am looking around at the world and I'm seeing chaos and I'm seeing tyranny grow. And ultimately, when it came to my future and what I wanted to do, It ultimately came down to one question after a lot of talk and debate, but ultimately it came down to one question. Can I sit idly by and watch what's happening? Can I sit idly by and watch the country I love be destroyed? Can I watch the world as a Christian and sit idly by and do nothing? The ultimate answer has been no. And that's where I want to start today's show, because I want to talk to you not about the issues of the day, which we'll get to later on in the show. I want to talk to you about your happiness. And I'm not going to go all lovey-dovey on you and come by on, let's all sing the Barney song, and I love you and you love me. But I actually want to talk to you about real happiness. Because if you are a new fan of this show, or if you are a long-term listener to this show, you're going to hear a lot about the Declaration of Independence. Certain things don't change. I may change, I may be happy, I may be sad, I may be angry. There's, there's certain things that will be consistent till the end of time, and John talking about the Declaration of Independence is going to be one of those things. I'll be on my deathbed going, but, but the, the Declaration of Independence said you have a right to this. That'll be me. 
maybe in an ideal world, my last Breton or my last words on this earth will be the Declaration of Independence. I'll go, all men are created equal. And die. Maybe that will be great. But I want to talk to you about your pursuit of happiness. Because one of the things I realized through my inner demons and my old issues was we don't spend enough time talking about happiness. And we don't spend enough time actually not just talking about it and pursuing it, but what are the key fundamentals to happiness? So today I want to take you on a journey, a bit of a journey of maybe self-discovery, a journey where maybe you find out not a, a bit more, not about me or not about your country, but maybe you find a bit more out about yourself. <laughs> this could be really fun or it could be really scary. But I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And what I want you to do is I want you to visualize, I want you to paint yourself a picture. And this will be different for everyone. But I want you to paint yourself a picture of a moment in time where you were truly happy. Where you had, you know, great karma, great inner peace, tranquility, whatever emotions you felt, great joy, whatever it is. And I want you to just focus in on that moment. And I want you to focus in on what made that moment that moment. Why did you pick that? Why did you go to that place and time at that very moment with those very people? What are the elements of it? And what I'd ask you to do is, I'd ask you to look at what made that moment special. Why were you happy? What was the emotion behind the happiness? What was the driving force behind the happiness? Now, as you have that visualization in your head and your eyes and you're painting that that picture for yourself in the imagination, just think of certain things. Who were you with? What were you doing? What was the occasion? What was the purpose of the meeting? I want you to think of all the things. What the weather is like. Is it a beautiful, warm, summer day where the sun is beating down? I know a lot of people are going, Oh my God, down south, it's so hot and the heat. I know there are people who are saying that. Maybe that's it's a beautiful fall day. Maybe if you're out on the west coast, I don't know. I don't know why anyone say this because I live in this every day. It's not that great. But maybe it was a, a nice, grand, soft Irish day and the rain was beautiful and soft and it was just beautiful and it was a gorgeous rainbow. Don't get it. I have it every day. It's overrated in my opinion. But whatever your place is, think about it. And I want you just to put that snapshot of whatever made you happy just to the side of your mind for a second, but I don't want you to lose it. I want you to keep that because you're going to come back to that moment time and time again. Now I want you to ask yourself and look around at society and go, what does society say I need to be happy? What does society kind of demand that you want to say, this is what you need? And I'm going to go through certain things and just see if you agree with me. You may disagree with me on some of these things. You may say, I don't think society puts a high value on that. I don't put a high value on it. But as you're going through this list, think about what society says and think about what you focus on. The first one is obviously money. Do you need money to be happy? Do you need it? Do you want fame and fortune and, you know, to be part of the right social class? Does that make you happy? The right political group. Oh, I'm a conservative. I have the right label. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Is that important in society? What about your earthly possessions? Do they make you happy? 
you know, all these great modern technology that we have, you know, we have literally anything we want on our iPhone. You know, we can go on the internet, we can text message people, we can find out literally where you are, what you're doing, like that. You can have privacy, well, when I say privacy, I mean in the grand scheme of things. It's not like the old days where, you know, other people could listen in in your calls. Hello, NSA. But if you're old enough, you'll get that reference. Look at all the, the wide and flat screen TVs. I need to get a new laptop. And because mine's big and bulky and slow and old. My laptops are five years, six years old, maybe. I went looking at laptops. They're literally the size of, the screens are like the size of a piece of paper or a couple of pieces of paper. It's amazing. All the power that they have, all these, all these RAMs and REMs and all these different things. It's incredible what you have now in technology. You want to be amazed. Look at earthly possessions. Look, I talk to a microphone. I uploaded this audio to a cloud and the producer takes it down and makes it available that you can listen 6,000 miles away. Is that important? What is the new must have? You know, where they build demand. You must have this, this new car, this Tesla, this iPhone. The new iPhone is coming out. It's the new must-have. Is that important in life? Is power and position important? You know, in your company. Hey, I, I'm 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 the, the the chief managing operator of this company. Oh, look at me! I'm so awesome. You have this term in America, which is uniquely American, and I'm not dissing it, by the way, in case it sounds like I am, but this unique American title where I'm the VP, I'm the vice president of talent relations, I'm the, the vice president of sales. It sounds all really important. You're like, wow, I'm speaking to the vice president. And then you actually see the company structure, and you're like, yeah, you're employee like number 100 out of 150. It sounds great, but is it? Is that important to you? Your relationships, are they important to you? Do society place a value on relationships, on family? You're coming to the one of my favorite times of year where you're going to have Thanksgiving and you're going to have maybe family over that you don't really like or you don't really agree with. And they're, oh, they're that liberal. Oh, no. They come in again. And we'll end up talking about politics and they'll say something about Obama was great. And I'll be like, oh, Obama was a nightmare. Or Trump's a racist. Do we really have to have that over? Is family important? What's it based on? Now, let's go change from earthly possessions to how do we treat people? Is that important? Is it important how we are treated by others? Because I want to ask you a question. I'll ask you to think of just some of them things that I just spoke about. And now contrast that to the picture I asked you to remember at the start. Where I said, where were you happy? What's that mental picture look like? Go through the list again. That mental picture, was money involved? Maybe there was for some of you. Maybe it was a great day. You, I don't know, you won the lotto and you're like, hey, hey, no more money worries. Awesome. Maybe. Maybe it was involved. But for a lot of people, do you think it is? Is fame important? Is social class important in your dream? Or are you away from it? Is power, is position, is your job title important? Or is there something more deepful? The reason I ask this question is because we need to honestly have a conversation about why people are so unhappy. Because today I believe society is very materialistic, where everything is the new must-have. Yet today suicide and depression rates are increasing. 
if we really wanted all these things, if, if we really believe that, that what they tell us is true, that, you know, having these things is a must have, that we'll be happy. We'll be happy when we just earn more money. We'll be happy when we have more power. We'll be happy when we have a new iPhone. Because this new iPhone, it's totally revolutionary. It's going to change the world. It is so much better than the last iPhone. Or I'll be so much happier when I have my 62-inch flat-screen TV that's HG ready, that's 3D ready, that has all the mod cons, that has surround sound. I'll be happy when I have that, when I can watch the Yankees win the World Series on that. See how I slipped that right in there? But yeah, ask yourself one question. Depression and suicide rates are increasing around the world. Yet when we look at today and we compare ourselves to five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 100 years ago, let's compare. Do we have more or less stuff? Is there more opportunities available today than there was 20, 50, 40, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago? Are we more or less happy though? Is it possible that while materialistic stuff is really cool, I'm not trying to come out like, hey, is John sounding like a socialist? He, he doesn't like material objects. He, does he not really like, look, I'll be the, I'm the poster child for enjoying material objects. I say this all the time. God bless innovation. I am a big fan of indoor plumbing. The idea of going back 50 years to, hey, you know, waking up at 2 a.m. in the morning to go pee pee and having to go outside in the freezing cold weather to go pee pee isn't, does not sound appealing to me. I don't want to go back there. I like going into my room and just literally pressing a button and having light. I love it. I love the fact I can talk to you from 6,000 miles away because of technology. I am not anti-materialism. I think materialism is awesome in the sense of it makes our lives better. It makes our lives more convenient. It advances society. However, is it our priority? And I believe we have to ask ourselves these questions. What is our priority in life? Where does real happiness come from? Does it come from those material objects that were sold? But also, how well have we accepted the marketing? You know, I was talking to some people about this as I was doing show prep, and it's amazing how many people have the words, certain words, the wrong way around. And I'll use some examples for you. How many times do you hear the following sentence? I need the new iPhone. I need the new PlayStation. I need the new cool thing, fill in the blank. I need these new trainers. They are awesome. They're endorsed by, I don't know, LeBron James. I need to have them. Okay. But yet, let's flip that around. How many times do you hear the sentence, I want to be loved. I want to help people. I want to be around my family and my friends. Just think about that wording for a second. How often do you hear that? Do we actually understand the difference uh, in, in a grammatically point of view? I know the person who can't say tree and tree is talking to you about grammar. I, let's, let's move past that little bit of irony for a second. But do we actually understand the difference between a need and a want? Because a lot of language says we don't. No, you don't need the new iPhone. Because if you need something, it, it's when you say you need something, it's like, I need air. If I don't have air, I'm dying. I'm going to suffocate. 
if I don't, I need food. If I don't eat, now granted this for me because I'm, I'm not a skinny boy. It might be a bit longer. I could do without a few meals. But eventually, if I don't eat, I die from starvation. A very long time away, but, you know, it's different for other people. But I need food. I need air. I need exercise. I don't need an iPhone. If I don't have the new iPhone, guess what? I can still live. I can still live. If I don't have the new Xbox, I can still live. But what is our priority? Is our priority needing that new iPhone and wanting friends? Or should we change our language and understand that a want is something that, hey, that'd be nice. If I got the new iPhone, would it be cool? Absolutely. All the new apps, the new fancy camera, the new battery life, all the apps, it'd be awesome. It'd be brilliant. Make my life easier. It'd be quicker. It'll be faster. I can log in quicker. I don't have to do a password. I can just press my thumb on it. Or I can, I think the new iPhone has a thing where it'll take your picture of your face and that's how you get in with sensor recognition. Cool. That's really great, but it's not a need. It's a want. Our needs and wants need to reflect society. You want the iPhone. You want the Xbox. But do we need to be loved? Do we need family? Do we need social recognition? The answer I believe as we do. Again, I would ask you to take that picture that of happiness and just look at it. What made it great? What made it unique to you? Why did you go to that happy place? Because I'd ask you a question. And again, this make this very personal about you and your circumstance, not about society. But are you better or worse off than you were in 2016, 2012? 2008, let's go back to 2008. Barack Obama is just president. Are you better or worse off than you were then? And just give me your gut reaction. Yeah, no, maybe, a bit. Now ask yourself, what defines your answer? Because so many people that I talk to, when I say, are you better off under Trump? The automatic answer is, well, I have more money in my pocket, so yes. Is that literally how you define your life as better off? Everything comes back to a materialistic object. Is is that right? Now, by the way, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. What I'm asking you is to ask yourself the question. Is life just about material objects, about money, about possessions? Or is there some deeper meaning? And is it possible that as we forget that deeper meaning in society, where we're so out of balance, where we don't have the deep meaning and we don't, and it's all on materialism, that we need to bring it back a bit, that maybe if we got more in balance, maybe our people would be better off. We'd be more mentally healthy. We'd be less depressed because, hey, I don't have this stuff. I, I, I'm obviously a failure. Why is it that Pete, the kids today who have more opportunities than we probably will ever dream of are committing suicide at incredible rates? Why is that? Why is that? I'd ask you just to think about two last analogies on this. The first one is, in case you didn't visualize this as your happy place, I want you to think about a great night where you went out for dinner with some friends. And it was a brilliant night. You, It was like, oh my God, it was awesome. We have to do this again. Just to really drive home the point to you. 
Was it the company that made it where you had great conversation where, you know, you caught up with their lives and you found out, you know, they're, they, they're now pregnant having their third kid or their kid is doing great in college. And, you know, you talked a bit of sports and go Yankees or go Giants or whatever your team is. I'm not trying to indoctrinate you here, but go Yankees. Or was it the food? Was it, you know, I went out and we had a great night because, you know what, I had the most unbelievable steak. It was awesome. And I also got a piece of lobster with it. And it was just, oh my God, delicious. And that just made my night. It wasn't the company, it was the, the food. Which is it? Second analogy I'd like you to think about. The richest person I know, and I don't care about money or fame or fortune, so I could be wrong about this. Maybe one of you listeners is like mega rich and, you know, hasn't told me because I don't care. But the idea of the richest person I know is Glenn Beck. And I'd ask you just to think about something. Let's say it got out publicly that mo- me and Glenn decided, you know what? I'm going to give, we're both going to give 500 bucks to a charity. What would your reaction be? Huh? Huh? My reaction would be, wow, John has 500 bucks to give. Wow, he must have, he must have done something, right? Because I don't have that kind of money. Glenn, phew, 500 bucks, no problem. I'm, ge- I'm guessing, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Glenn. But would you be like, that's really cool. You gave 500 bucks to charity. That's, that's awesome. Now flip it on the other side. If it came out that both me and Glenn said, you know what, we're going to get in the, the local, I don't know, food hall or local pantry and or homeless shelter and donate four hours of our time. We'd, if I back it out, would you be like, that's really cool. That's that's nice to see. Nice to see John do, living up to stuff and the stuff that he talks about. And nice to see Glenn still helping other people. Why is it that most people would be more impressed by the time of actually going to help and serve other people than writing 500 bucks. Why is that? Because I believe deep inside of us, we need that love, that that idea of helping other people, that hidden meaning, that additional helping where you're actually directly helping and serving people means something. The material object of money, eh, everyone has money to a certain extent. Some more than others. But for you to actually give your time, your energy, your effort means something. Or am I totally spitballing going, you know what, John, what you just spoke about for the last 15 minutes is complete hoey. That's for you to decide. As always, I'm on social media and I'm getting more and more involved on social media and becoming more active because I went MIA for a couple of months. But I'm on Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58. Give me a follow, give me a like. I react, I'll respond. If you think what I just said was the biggest load of hoey, let me know. If you agreed with it, let me know. But I believe we need to actually start having these deep conversations with each other. And I want to continue on the conversation by actually talking to you a bit of theory. Um, rather than just emotions. I want to actually talk to you about theory because there's a, there's a, I, one of the more popular business theories and, you know, emotional and theories out there is a theory called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you've never seen this, I'll paint a picture for you. Basically, it's a triangle. 
And there's five levels. So if you're painting that triangle, five different colors. And basically what it says is that there are certain needs that everyone needs and in, 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 as, as an individual. You need certain things to, to survive. And the first two are what they call basic needs. The first one is food, water, warmth, rest. We all need these. We can't get away from them. You know, you can't live without food. You can't live without water. You know, if you're, especially if you're in Ireland, you can't live without warmth because it's, it's really cold here and it's getting colder and it's not nice. I want to go to Texas. Um, you need rest, you know, no matter how much you work, you know, eventually there is a point in time where you just need to go, oh, let's just breathe. Let's just chill. The second level is you need some level of security. You need some level of safety. Um, you know, there's some type of security in your job. You need safety at home that, you know, you, maybe that's buying a gun. Maybe that's an alarm system, whatever it is, but we all desire some level of safety and security. And I'd also put in there some type of, of, of acceptance in society. Then the third level is your belongingness and your love needs. You know, you need intimate relationships. You need friends. You know, you know, your best friends, your wife, your partner, your kids, your parents, whatever intimate relationships you have. Then it starts getting narrow and narrow and less and less people actually start getting to it. You need your esteem needs, which is your prestige, your, your feeling of accomplishments. You know, I got something done. You know, there's a, there's actually a chemical reaction in your brain when you do something. You know, we all do it, you know, whether it's on, you know, if you look at, you know, when you, you do it when you're watching sports, you know, when someone hits a home run, you're like, yeah, that's an endorphin rush. You know, when, you know, if you have a to-do list, you know, if you're like me, you have a to-do list on either a piece of paper on your whiteboard and you, you know, you either get that pen and you, you, you scribble through it or, you know, you put a big line through it on the whiteboard. There's an endorphin rush. You're like, yes, another thing done. I'm getting somewhere. I'm making progress. It can be something simple like, you know, did the washing. Yes, that's got that done. That's another thing off my list. And then the last one is the one that very few people get, and it's called self-actualization. It's basically described as where somebody reaches their full potential. How many people today do you think reach their full potential? How many people do you know actually understand what their full potential is? Because I don't want this show to, if you're listening to this show and you're kind of going, Jesus, John, you're so negative towards material objects. What's wrong with you? I'm not trying to come across as negative. I'm just trying to raise the question. But I believe from myself reflecting, and I'm going to talk to you about what some of the stuff I learned about myself in, in, later on in the show. But one of the things I found was we don't spend enough time focusing in on our greatness, on achieving our full potential. What we tend to do as a society is actually focus on the rewards we'll get if we reach our full potential. So a lot of people will focus in on going, hey, I just want this, you know, dream job. And if I get this dream job, you know, VP of sales for this company, that might be the actual dream. That might be you achieving your full potential. But we never really focus in on that. What we focus in on, I just need to earn $100,000 a year. And I to get that, I need to be VP of sales. Maybe I'm guessing that salary is a bit low for a VP of sales. I'm not sure. But, you know, you can put it in relevant to your field. We need to start, I believe, encouraging people to achieve their full potential. Now, how do we do that? I believe in society we are missing missions and purposes and goals. 
How many times do you see in society someone, and I see this so often with kids, where they go, I want to do something. And it's usually something outrageous as a kid. You know, I want to fly to the moon. I just ask you just to visualize, like, you know, imagine a kid turning, coming up to you and going, I'm going to be the next Tiger Woods. I'm going to be the next Tom Brady. I'm going to be the next, ever who your favorite player is, like the greatest of all time. I'm going to be the next Michael Jordan. And just think about what your gut reaction would be. <laughs> that kid thinks he's going to be the next Michael Jordan. He's crazy. There's never going to be another Michael Jordan. There's never going to be another Michael Jordan. How many times are we negative towards people who want to achieve their dreams? I'm going to be, you know, a perfect example. I'm going to be the next president of the United States. Now, I can't because I'm not a citizen because, you know, I actually still believe in something called, oh, what's, oh, oh, oh that's called the Constitution. Yeah, I got that. Um, but, you know, how many people would say if I wanted to be the next president, you'd go, yeah, that'll never happen. How many times do we have those conversations? Or even if we don't verbalize it, we think it. That'll never happen. Have you seen the state of you? You you can't play basketball. You can't you can never be the next Michael Jordan. You can't dunk a basketball. Well, you could be better than that. You could be a great defense. You could be a great three point shooter. Could be a great guard. Whatever it is. The idea of it. You know, greatness doesn't come from being, hey, I have to be just like them. You could be the I want to be the next greatest footballer. And you may not be the next Tom Brady because you might not have the athletic build to be Tom Brady or to, to pass the ball like Tom Brady. But you know what? You could be the next great footballer. You could be the next great defensive end, defensive tackle, where no one gets by you, where you stop the run, where you sack the quarterback, where you set all-time records and sacks. It can happen. Greatness. You can be the next great footballer and not be the next great Tom Brady. But how many times do we frown upon people when they want to do that? I'm going to go to the moon. <laughs> yeah, right. That'll never happen. Have you seen you? Have you seen your grades? How many times do we just discourage people? Or how many times do we sit, actually sit people down going, that's a great goal. You want to be the next Tom Brady? Brilliant. Now, here's where I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to tell you you can't be the next Tom Brady. But I ain't going to blow smoke up your butt and say, yeah, of course you are. How many times do we actually sit someone down and go, do you know what it takes to be the next Tom Brady? Do you know, there's a great interview, and I, I don't mean this to, to sound all sports, but there was a great interview with Tiger Woods. Forget your personal feelings towards him and what he did as a person, dirtbag, but on the golf course, there is no one better than Tiger Woods. And he gave an interview recently, which I found fascinating where he was actually let shared a glimpse of what his life used to be like. I don't know whether he meant to do this or not, but he was talking about his back injury, and he's like, look, guys, you know, sometimes my back is sore because I've had three surgeries. I'm not 21 anymore. I can't do what I used to do. And then he listed his routine, where he got up in the morning, had breakfast, went for a jog, played golf, went to the range, hit some balls, had lunch, went to the gym, played another 18 holes, and then went jogging later on in the evening. That's what it took to be Tiger Woods. Every day, games of golf, practice after practice after practice after practice. Do you think Tiger Woods felt great every time? Do you think he woke up going, oh, yay, I get to play another 18 holes of golf today. Wonderful. I get to go hit another 200 balls in the range. 
Do you think he was excited about that? Or do you think he was like, I've got to do this. I want to be the best. I want to be better. I want to be the greatest of all time. So many times today I see people, when they're talking about missions and goals, either they're like, you'll never do that, or they'll blow smoke up your butt and go, yeah, of course you will. Of course you will. Yeah, 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 of course you will. You, you go get them, pumpkin. How many times do we want to have those serious conversations? And I want to focus in on the youth. Because everyone today, it's so popular to hate on kids. Oh, this bunch of kids. Oh, my God. They're a bunch of hippies. All they want is beanbags and free stuff. They're a bunch of Bernie Sanders socialist wannabes. Have we ever tried speaking to them? How about we give them a new mission? Because whether we like it or not, whether you believe they are ready or not, they are the future. That we can either demean that future... And go, yeah, they'll never do anything. And effectively, the world ends as we know it. Which, by the way, if it happens in their lifetime, there's a chance you're a senior citizen. So you actually have a vested interest in encouraging them and inspiring them. Do we blow smoke up their butt and go, yeah, you're going to be awesome? Or do we sit them down and have real conversations about why is it about society that's great? Why is America an exceptional nation? What are the principles Why are we different? Why do you have more opportunities today than ever before? And do we tell them about the hard work and sacrifice? And my God, there's been a lot of sacrifice. From the serviceman and woman, during the Cold War, during World War II, men and women storming beaches. Men, 18, 17, lying about their age, storming beaches. Do we tell them about men and women and families been divided during the Civil War? This is what it took to get here. Now it's your job and your responsibility to take what we have. Yes, we are not perfect, but to take upon it and build upon it. That is your mission and purpose. Do mission and purpose have any role in society today? That is what I would ask you to think about. If you think... I have said anything with merit about society. This is where the real question comes in. If you think there is anything wrong with society right now, and you think there's anything wrong with, you know, some of the ideas that I've spoken about, and that you go, you know what, John's onto something there. That that needs to be addressed. I, I agree with you. I may disagree with 80% of what John just said, but there's this bit I agree with. This is a problem. We need to address this. Whatever that is for you, this is the big question. And the big question of how we define ourselves and our society. Whatever you think is wrong, how do we fix it? How do we change it? Because right now in culture, in America, around the world, everywhere, anytime you see a problem, the answer is always the same. Politics. We need Joe Bloggs there. I need them representing me. I need them as president. I need them as senator. I need them as my representative in the House. I need them in the state legislature. Look, am I demeaning politics? Am I saying it has no role? No, politics has a role. Politics will always have a role, whether you like it or not. I always encourage, you know, I, this is not a political show. I'm not the, hey, Trump is awesome. 
kind of guy. I'm not, hey, vote GOP. That's not me. If you're looking for that show, I don't know. Go somewhere else. The Blaze has plenty of political shows. Politics is important, though. You know, I encourage everyone to, while this is not a political show, I encourage everyone to learn about politics. Because the truth about politics is whether you like it or not, whether you love it or you hate it, whether you're interested or not, whether you have a lot of political knowledge or no political knowledge, doesn't matter. Politics cares about you and what you're doing. So you need to be aware of what ha- what's happening political, politically. But does politics have a role in fixing it? Maybe. Does Hollywood have a role to f- play here? You know, we'll, we'll get some actors and, oh my God, it's so brilliant. And we'll, we'll have some sparkly lights and, you know, we'll flash it in neon going, actors are here, Hollywood, the Film Actors Guild. Is that going to solve it? Is culture, is culture going to fix it? Is talk radio going to fix these problems? Is the blaze going to fix these problems? Should it? Or is it a bit more closer to home? Is the solution not any of those? But maybe the solution is, oh, what's that? Oh, what's that? Oh, oh, yeah, you. You, you're, you have a role to play. So many times we love pointing the finger. That's their job. And there's a saying I grew up and I used to pee me off every time, but there's so much truth to it. Anytime you point the finger at someone else, you got to remember there's three fingers pointing right back at you. And don't point your finger at someone saying they have to do something if you're not doing three times that amount. But also, especially when you think of America's history, America's lineage, does the church have a role? It's so cool to hate on the church today. And this is ironic coming from someone like me who doesn't belong to a religion, but is a Christian. Does the church have a role? Does the church have a role to fix society? Should we be focusing in on these issues or should the church continue on trying to make money and teaching the prosperity gospel of God really wants you to be rich and God wants you to have a private plane like one of the pastors in America thinks? What's the role? Or this great pope who thinks, oh my God, climate change is real. We need to tell people what to do. I don't know why that voice keeps coming back. Maybe I, maybe uh, I need to speak like this, you know. <laughs> Climate change is real. <laughs> Whose responsibility is it to fix it on a serious note? I believe it's our job. I believe it's my job. But here's the thing. The thing about greatness, the thing about real change, is it doesn't happen by one great big act. Everyone always thinks, oh, if you just did this one thing, all our problems will be solved. If you just did this, everything is happy. Problems are a lot bigger than that. The biggest advancements of problems in our world come when we all do our little bit. Where if we need to build a wall metaphorically, where I'll put my brick in, or maybe my two bricks in, and you put yours, and you put yours, and you put yours, and all of a sudden, guess what? We have a big, beautiful wall. We've solved the problem. You look around at the, if I may use an analogy, but uh, uh, use that analogy, but give you an example. Your founding documents, your founding documents, 1776, your Declaration of Independence. Yes, it's always Thomas Jefferson who's named, and he did a large chunk of the work, but it was a committee of five people who wrote that. 
Thomas Jefferson did the heavy lifting, but it was still five people. There was changes made. Some for the good, some for the worse. Then you look at the Constitution, 1787. That just didn't happen. That convention in Philadelphia wasn't one man going, hey, hey, I'm going to write the Constitution. This is all me, baby. No, there was a lot of debate. It took a lot of people. And then 1791, your Bill of Rights, where 12 amendments turned into 10. Change doesn't happen by just one person. Unless you're Jesus. And then if you're Jesus, then you're the second coming. But hey, I've been told that's already that's already happened. But that's a side point. Unless you're Jesus, change doesn't happen all by yourself. Change happens by each of us doing every part. Are we going to take our role in society seriously? And do something? Or will we just sit by and watch society and our world burn? If you've enjoyed this show and you enjoy what we do here, I'd ask you to subscribe on your favorite platform. Going forward, we're, every show is going to be released at Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. We're on every major platform for free. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, we're on iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, OmniFM, CastBox, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Literally, we are taking over the world. But also, if you happen to listen on iTunes, especially iTunes, if you'd leave us a rating and review... And the same on CastBox. It helps the algorithm, helps us new people find our show because I have a lot of things I'm going to talk to you about over the coming weeks and months that I've kind of held back on because I want to talk to you about what my mission is. You know, one of the questions I got asked when I revealed what I revealed a couple of, I think it was about a month ago now. I'm really bad on the last couple of months have been a blur. And every day is just kind of molded into each other. There's been a, a lot of stuff happening and a lot of personal issues have happened, especially over the last month. And it's been hard. So whenever I did that show six weeks ago, four weeks ago, but a lot of people asked, I'm a bit shocked by your revelation. They said, how can someone who I've listened to for a while sounds so confident and i've you know some people message me who have heard me speak in the past and go you're you know you're so confident you know you know your stuff you were so nice afterwards hanging around how does someone who is that have those problems the answer and i'm going to explain in very simple terms is i'm going to do what i do that makes me happy I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, I'm ever going to be the happy person where everything is great about my life. Maybe I maybe I get lucky where I become an American and I get to live over there and every day is just awesome. But I, I, I feel in my heart I'm going to always have these personal demons which I have to deal with and they're my demons to deal with. But the only time I'm ever really happy, if I was to answer the question I posed at the start of this show was... When do I find myself? Pick that moment when I am have fulfillment, when I'm happy. It's when I'm serving other people. And when I'm sharing a message of why I love America. That sense of amazing joy is, is it's like a drug to me. 
It's if you could bottle that stuff, I'd be an addict. I'm not joking. You know, like I'm not saying how great I am, but when I go over to your country on vacation, you know, I work. When I go to your country, I'm on vacation. I work harder over there than I do when I'm over here. Not hard in the physical sense, but like I do a lot of driving. You know, I literally my routine is always the same. I I get up, I check out, I have breakfast. I'll maybe go to the gym. I'll check out of a hotel. I'll drive to a place. I'll check into the new hotel. I'll go to the speech. I'll hang around, have dinner with the person, people, you know, if people want to hang out or, you know, the people who organize me coming, I'll hang out with them. Maybe meet some of you that I know in different places. We go for dinner, finish up about 12 o'clock, go to bed, get up early the next morning and drive. And sometimes it's really early, you know, sometimes the drives are like five, six hours. It's a, it's not an easy gig. It's it's awesome. I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world, but physically it's hard. And then I come back to my own normal job. But they're the times I'm most happy, where I'm sharing my love of America, the ideas that are fundamentally true. That is my goal. That is my mission. I don't want to do well in life. I want to do good. And there is a difference. But I, the answer is I don't have much confidence in myself. If you start asking, talking to me, hey, about myself and about what I do, I get very uncomfortable. It's why if you ever give me compliments on social media, and I, I realize I'm horrible at this, and I've probably offended people over the years where people have said really nice things to me. I'm like, you know, oh, you're great. No, I'm really not. You know, and I don't, I, sh- I, I really struggle to take that compliment because I have that inner hatred for myself. The only time I'm confident, the only time I'm really confident and pretty much sure of stuff is when it comes to what I talk about. The fundamentals of nature's law and nature's God. When it comes to the fundamentals of freedom, of just leaving people alone. When it comes to my knowledge, and I'm not saying I'm the most knowledgeable person because I'm far from it, but when it comes to my knowledge of history of how other organizations and other civilizations and how other places have lived and do live, and then I understand the idea of America, I can firmly say with the most confidence and this should mean something coming from a not confident guy they are exceptional those principles that is why my new mission is a couple of fold one I have realized that what started a lot of my depression and going really down was I stopped giving up on my goal of becoming an American that changes right now I don't know if I'll ever get there. If I was a betting man, honestly, I'd probably bet against me. Because my goal of getting to America is heavily reliant on someone else. I used this analogy with someone the other day, a dear friend of mine, talking about coming to America. And I went, it's out of my hands. Like, I'm trying to lose a lot of weight right now. That's in my hands. I can control what I eat. I can control when I eat. I can control how much I work out. I can control if I have a really bad day. If I go, I'm having a crappy day, I'll have a burger. I can just go to the gym the next day and burn an extra, you know, do an extra 30 minutes on the treadmill or an extra 30 minutes on cross trainer. I can control that. It's physics. It's in many ways, not making, losing weight is really hard, but in simple, simple terms, it's a maths equation. You burn a certain amount of calories. If you want to lose weight, you go into caloric deficit, which means you burn more, you burn more than you eat. Eventually, you lose weight. 
And you just keep doing that until you're happy. It's a maths equation. I can control 100% of that. To America, I can't. To get to America, I need someone else. And I don't know how that's going to happen because you live in interesting times. But the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to focus in on doing what I do maybe best. I hate saying, I hate being confident, but I want to do the stuff I know that's true. And that is talking about American exceptionalism. That is talking about the ideas of America. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert right now. If you are political, if you like Donald Trump, if you like the GOP, or if you like Democrats, or you, whoever who the Democratic nominee is going to be in 2020, it could be Elizabeth Warren, it could be Joe Biden, it could be Camilla Harris, I don't know. It could be Bernie Sanders. I don't know. Don't care. If you're a libertarian, chances are as well. If you have, I don't know who, I hear Bill Weld is off primering Trump if that ever happens, but ever who the libertarian, Gary Johnson maybe. Chances are I'm going to tick you off all the time. Because I'm going to talk to you about principles of freedom. Because I see principles of freedom been violated by everyone in D.C. I see the Second Amendment been destroyed. Whether it comes to bump stock bans, whether it comes to red flag laws, which you are scarily close to passing. I don't have a side in this. I'm not Team Trump, nor am I Team Never Trump. I'm not Team GOP or Team Left. And yes, I realize that I'm going to go through the exact same thing I did in 2016 where, oh, John, you're the enemy. Really? If that's your opinion, fine. I don't care. Because I can tell you this for sure. This time it won't bother me. Because I've looked death in the eye recently. There's nothing you can say to me that can hurt me. I came scarily close to the point where I had the details planned out of what I was going to do, when I was going to do it. I could even tell you the exact day and time. So me being the enemy, I can deal with that. I'm not out to win popularity contests anymore. I'm here to do what I believe is fundamentally morally right. I see your Second Amendment been violated. Your Fourth Amendment doesn't even exist anymore, thanks to the GOP. I see the Fifth Amendment been trampled. And I see inconsistencies. It's time to start talking about freedom. And it's time to start understanding that there is a lot of merit to what everyone says right now if you can actually just listen to each other. Let me give you one small example. I had a friend, and I use the term very loosely, on the left reach out to me this week and said, I know you're the GOP Trump, you know, this shows you how out of touch they were, the Trump GOP defender. And I went, <laughs> you're funny, what do you want? And I, went, I know we haven't spoken in a while, but can you just explain something to me? And I went, first of all, your label of me is completely wrong. But sure, I, I if you've engaged with me, whether you hate me or love me, you know, I, I'm usually just an open book. I'll talk to anyone. Unless you get insulting, then I just stop. But the conversation went, I, I don't understand the right. And I'm like, huh, me neither. What's your point? Let me, you know, enlighten me. What topic are we talking about here? And they went, you know, on guns, all these mass shootings, mm-hmm, all these mass shootings happen, all these people die, and the right 
won't even listen to us when it comes to gun control. And I'm like, well, there's a reason for it, but why, why, why do you not understand the right to you? Is this a gun issue? And they went, no, this is a recent issue. And I went, give me more details. And they went, so all these people die. You won't even listen to us on gun control. Yet a couple of people die from vaping and you're banning these flavored cigarettes. Where is the consistency on that? Where is the consistency? And I went, I have no idea. I'm not for banning guns, but I'm also not for banning the uh, flavored vaping. And I, I'm not a vapor. I'll never vape in my life. I couldn't even tell you what the flavors are. I heard one freaky flavor once. I think it was something like, was it mandarin and blossom fruit or passion fruit or something? It was, it was, I was like, that's, that's a cigarette, not a dessert. And I went, yeah, yeah, you smoke it. Well, okay, cool. But can we understand how that's inconsistent? When you get things caught up in principles or in parties, I should say, it's, well, of course, it's our, it's our party. It's our thing. It has to be right. We have to support it. Do you? What is more important? Parties or principles? People or principles? Which made America exceptional? Was America exceptional because of George Washington? And I use George Washington because I believe he's the greatest man to ever live. Is America exceptional because of him? No, he played a part. He set a lot of precedent, including the whole two terms as president. But is America exceptional because of George Washington? Nope. Is it exceptional because of Thomas Jefferson? John, you, you love the Declaration of Independence. He wrote it. Surely it's because of him. No. Is it exceptional because of the old Whig party? Nope. Is it exceptional because of the Republicans? Nope. Is it exceptional because of Democrats? Nope. It's exceptional because of a set of ideals. And we need to start talking about those ideals that man is meant to be free. This idea that you think you can control people because you think you know what is best for people. And before someone says it, no, I don't hate kids. Because I spoke about someone, another person on Facebook going, why do you hate kids so much? Why do you want? I'm like, I just don't want to tell people what to do. That does not make me hate kids. The idea that we can tell people what to do. Government is not your nanny. Government is there to protect your rights. And over the coming weeks and months, we're going to start laying the case the best I can. And spoiler alert, it's going to go against some of what Trump says, some of what the Republican says, a hell of a lot what the Democrats say, and some of what libertarians say. But I am unique. I am unique in the sense that I grew up idolizing your country for a reason. Not because, hey, America's awesome and I love America and America's just awesome. No, because I live under tyranny. I want America to be the beacon of hope for the world. To be that Statue of Liberty where you're shining the torch going, hey, this is the way. And it's the way because of our book, because of the law. Because of principles that do not change. Because here's the fundamental truth about freedom. The principles of freedom are agreed on by both left and right. Now before you go crazy about how can you say that, how can you say the left and the right agree on the fundamental principle of freedom? They disagree on the policies of freedom, but the principle they all agree on. 
And it's not a left-right thing. It's a human thing. Everyone is great when it comes to the freedoms they like. The left believe in freedom, just different versions, different policies of freedom. Hey, they believe in, I have a right to abort my baby. I have a right to that freedom. I have a right to free contraception. That they, I'm not saying I'm not defending it, but they believe in a version of freedom. They even believe in a version of free speech. The right believe in, hey, I, I should have guns. I should have this amendment. I should have this right. You both believe you have a certain right to some freedoms. What you disagree on is the freedoms. The problem is both of those, in my opinion, are the wrong answer. The answer isn't about the freedoms you agree with. The answer is the freedoms that are consistent with nature's law and nature's God. Do I have a right to compel you to act a certain way or not act in this case? Because if you fundamentally believe, and this is not about Donald Trump, this is about principles. If you believe a president, first of all, that's not in Article 2, by the way. For all the constitutionalists out there who are silent, that's not an Article 2 power. But the idea that you think someone can compel you going, you can't have a vape. That they're now banned. And that the, the, the lives of the kids are better off. And everyone else just has to get in line. How is that consistent with freedom? And how is that consistent with the principle of actual equality where we are all created equal? If you fundamentally believe the government has that power, then you are not free. You are not equal. You are nothing more than a serf. And the government are king. And I believe you fought a revolution over that. The choice is simple. The world is in chaos right now. America is having problems. England is having problems. Europe is having problems. The world is going through a major state of chaos. Why is that? Well, in simplicity terms, it's because we are living off the laws of man. There is no foundation. And if you want me to get biblical for you, I will. We have built a house on sand and it's pouring rain. And now we're all going to be shocked when the house falls down because, oh my God, the house fell down. What? But we built it on sand and the rain came. Why? What? How did this happen? We need to build it on the foundations. We need to build it on the foundations of stone, of principles. So when the storms come, which they are coming, that we are so rooted in those principles that yes, we may get battered. Yes, we may lose a window or two. Yes, we may lose a tile off the roof, but our house is structurally sound that it's built into that foundation. It ain't going nowhere. That is what the world needs. And while I may pee a lot of people off, and, and for that I, I apologize because I'm not seeking to annoy or frustrate or piss anyone off, but I am going to talk about truth. I am not joining a side. I am not Team Trump. I am not Team Never Trump. I am not on anyone's side, bar on the side of God and on the side of nature's law and nature's God. And I hope you'll consider joining me on this journey as we travel through over the coming weeks and months, making the case factually why you are different, why you are unique, why you are exceptional. 
and why you change the world and why you will do it again if you follow these principles, which are not mine. I'm not some Pied Piper going, hey, come follow John. John has all the answers. No, don't follow me. Follow the principles which made you exceptional. If you never want to miss any of my work, any of this show, or any of the writings I do, go to freedomsdisciple.com. We have a free newsletter. You can sign up, and anytime there's a new show out every week or any writings I do, I'm going to be doing a lot more writing going forward. You'll get a notification. I want to talk to you about a couple of things to finish up today's show, but one of the things I want to do is I want to actually share a little story with you, because some of you guys are just awesome. Like, you guys, when I say you're my family, I really mean it. I love you guys. You are literally my family. But there was, I got the best message um, from someone who will remain nameless who listens to this show. And uh, after I did my last show, and I got a load of messages going, oh, John, I didn't know you had these problems. We're praying for you. We love you. And hopefully you come back. And, you know, your voice is needed. All these lovely, nice, kind messages that really warm my heart. And I got this other message, which to this day makes me smile. And it's it's hilariously funny. And it went, it was on Facebook and it was, uh, I literally got this message, dude, in capital letters, explanation point, explanation point, explanation point, explanation point, explanation point. And that was all that was said. So of course I eventually got it and I went, yes, what, well, what's up? Dude. And then he put this gif up of, you know, shaking the head, just, I just listened to your show. And then, of course, because I, I was offline, this happened over a period. And I went, just because I, I don't always assume everyone listens. I, I always just do that. And I was like, oh, which one? You know, because it could have been the Declaration of Independence special I did. Which one? And then it got back. And I went, your, your, your personal demons one. Can I be honest with you? And I went, sure. Bad move. Capital letters. Bad, bad, bad move. And I went okay i'm like i'm expecting to get a bit of lambas because there was a few people who got sent me nasty messages and that's just that's the way it is that's twitter and facebook and i went i wouldn't have done that if i were you the clintons can now kill you and they have deniability (laughs) so to that person thank you you i i i will say it was a bit of a risky thing but you made me laugh incredibly i like a lot even to this day i find it hilariously funny just bad move the clintons can now kill you and they have deniability um not that the clintons would ever kill anyone but i just wanted to share that story with you because that's how got you guys are just so awesome and to everyone who reached out thank you so much but i want to finish up today's show by talking to you about something a bit more serious and a bit more personal more personal, you already said, wow, John, you're, you're laying on the emotions today. I know, that's what I do. By the way, can you sense the passion in my voice? You know, I'm not faking it, this is real. This week, and it's hard to say something new when everyone talks about it, but this week was the 18th anniversary of 9-11. And it's always hard to, to know what to say. It's... What do you say after 18 years? What do you say? How can you convey the emotions of that day? 
I honestly have a hard question to ask. I hear, and I know I use the hashtag as well because it's it's just a cool thing to do. It's you know what all the hip kids do, but it's so cool today to say never again. But what are we saying never again to? What are we fundamentally saying? Never again. Never again. Never again. What are we saying it to? What have we taught our kids and current generations about 9-11? In fact, as someone who, you know, is likes history, I don't even know how you could adequately explain it and explain the emotions and how much the world, the world changed that day. How do you explain to someone that you woke up on September 11th? And especially for someone like me who was five hours ahead of the East Coast and it was just a normal day. Just a normal day. Got the bus into work. Had lunch. Probably had, I can't remember what I had for lunch that day. My memory's not that good. Probably a sandwich and, you know, pack of crisps maybe. You know, it's what you do. Subway maybe. I have no idea. Just a normal day. You're going about your daily lives. You're maybe planning what you're going to do for the weekend and then boom. It's a plane in the World Trade Center. You're like, wow, that must be one big, big mistake. And then you see the second one. And then you see the third one. And then you hear about the fourth. How do you explain that? How do you explain the emotions of what it must have been like to be around that? How do we explain, especially in this world where it's so cool and it's so hip and it's so popular to hate on ki- to hate on the police? How do you explain what it must have felt like to be them? To have that call, there's a plane in the World Trade Center, and if you were a cop or you were a firefighter or you know an emergency personnel going to respond to that day, seeing the smoke billow out of those buildings. How do you explain the people and what they must have felt as they were on those planes? Is it possible to even do it? How do you explain the absolute most horrific thing I can think and there's in a day full of horrific things? How do you explain the emotions, the thought process, the idea of being in a building that has been hit, the World Trade Center, that is so incredibly warm that you can't breathe, that you're choking from the smoke, and that the only option that seems like a good idea to you right now is I got to jump out the window knowing you're going to die. How do you explain that to people? How do you constantly remind people of those emotions? To ensure never again actually happens. How do we explain the emotions that must have been felt? Where police and firefighters rushed to those buildings. Rushed into those buildings. Who were there to help people. Who were there to serve other people. Who were there to try and help. How do we explain the emotions they must have felt as those towers came crashing down? Knowing their friends were there. Maybe knowing some of their siblings were there. 
and seeing some of the images that will never, ever leave my memory. I don't know about yours. Where the towers have come down and you literally see all these police and firefighters just filled with ash. How do we explain to people the emotions they must have felt where they must have felt like, I just want to give up. What do we do? Instead, what they had to do was they had to dig through the rubble. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Looking for survivors. Hoping for survivors. Hoping they'd find their friend, their partner. Hoping hoping they'd be able to rescue someone from the dust. How do we explain those emotions? How do we explain the pain and the suffering of nearly 3,000 families who lost someone that day? How? But never forget. Never forget. Well, if we can't explain something, how can we say never forget? Because if we don't explain it or we can't explain it, that's only going to lead to a point where we do forget. How many people will remember 9-11? The pain, the suffering, the destruction. How many people will remember 9-12? How many people will remember what it felt like to watch America from my point of view, but from your point of view, to live in America on 9-12. Where everything, all this bickering just went away for a period. All the bickering, all the hatred, all the labels, we just forgot about them. How do we explain to people, especially today, where it's cool, where it's hip, where it's trendy, to stamp on the American flag, to kneel for the national anthem, to burn the American flag, to say America sucks. How do we explain to people on 9-12 the cool and hip thing, the trendy thing, was to go buy an American flag and display old glory in its prime? How do we explain to people that reaction? How do we explain the emotions that it, some it took a week, some it took a month, some probably took a couple of years, but eventually, oh glory, it didn't become cool and hip to keep it out there on the porch. When 9-11 happened, we, we displayed that flag prominent. It was bright. It was proud. It was clean. It was there for the world to see. And eventually that feeling subsided. How do we explain the emotions of, eh, it's just the American flag. How do we explain that journey? How do we do it? You know, one of the things I've been dealing with is the realization that the America I love doesn't exist anymore. The realization that And I hate labels, but if I was to put a label on it, the America I love is Frank Capra's America. 
And the realization I had and I've been trying to figure out, and I actually have the answer to this because I've been doing a lot of thinking lately. Because I was Irish and because I've never lived in America or spent more than, you know, a period of time there, I asked myself, did that America actually ever exist? Was it just a Hollywood production? Did the America I love actually exist? And I had doubts for a while, but I know it did. I don't know whether it does right now or not. But the problem I have is, the question is not whether it existed or not, or whether it will again or not. That's not the question. The question I have is whether the American people wanted to exist again. Now, I know people, when they hear this, will likely say, well, it's we do, but it's those Democrats, those evil Democrats. It's the left. And it's always easy to point finger at other people. I want it to exist, but I'm not a citizen. So guess what? What I want <laughs> counts for squat. But I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader in reminding you of it. And I don't know how I'm going to make the case. Because I don't know how I make the case for what I feel when I see the American flag. The image of 9-11 that will never, ever leave my mind, and there are several, but when I think of 9-11, the first image that always comes to mind is as those towers are down, and all you can see is literally one big hole. And you literally can see it steaming. And you see all the death and the destruction and the pain and the anguish. The one image that would never leave my mind is of men standing and hanging the American flag to leave and bring that hope. Now, I understand what people say. Look, it's only a piece of cotton. It's only a piece of fabric. It means nothing. It's, I get it. It's not the flag I care about. It is only a piece of fabric dyed with a bit of red, a bit of blue, a bit of white. And if you've got a, a proper American flag with stitching in it, with 50 stars, it's not the flag I care about. It's what it represents. How do you explain that to people? These are some of the things we are going to have to deal with. These are some of the things we are going to have to address for people of all ages. Because while it's great that when 9-11 happened, it was cool to hang out the flag for a while, it soon dissipated. I don't want to get to a point where I never want to see a 9-11 again, but I don't want to get to a point where something happens and it becomes cool to hang out the American flag again. I want to get to a point where it's cool to hang out the American flag 24-7-365 for your lifetime. I want to get to a point where you see the American flag the way I do. Where I salute it, and even though I'm not a citizen and I have no right to do it, I do it. Because it means hope. It means opportunity. It means principles. It means and stands for a country that is built on an idea. 
an idea that changed the world and can change the world again if you wanted to. This week, as we remember 9-11, and we say never forget, let us never forget the pain that America suffered that day. Let us never forget how our world changed that day. Let us never forget the pain and anguish of those police and firefighters. Yes, you, it's, oh, you know, F the police. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. You're great. You're so articulate. Let's remember the men and women who ran into those buildings to help other people. Let us remember the heroes. Let us never forget that some of your fellow citizens, whether they were Democrat or Republican, whether they were left or right, whether they were gay or straight, black or white, got to a point of hopelessness where the only option was to jump to a certain death. Let us never forget that there are people out there who oppose and hate your very way of life. Yes, they hate you because you're Americans. Yes, they hate you because of your foreign policy. Yes, they hate you for any other countless reasons that the politicians love to say. But they hate you most because of what you represent. You represent what's best for man in the world. You represent the principles of freedom. You may not live up to them right now. Your politicians may not follow those principles right now. But that's what you represent. And they know you must be destroyed. They must destroy not only America, the country, but the ideals of America. Together, I ask you to join me and say, not on my watch. Together, whether it's Al-Qaeda, whether it's the Taliban, whether it's socialism, whether it's Republicans gone wrong, let us make a stand and a commitment together that the principles that your flag represents, the constitution of limited government, the principles of equality in the Declaration of Independence, and yes, pursuing your own happiness, because you only have one life, one opportunity, And whatever it is, it may be different for all of us. That's what makes us individuals. That's what makes us great. We are not a collective. But that right to pursue your happiness is something that we should cherish. It's something we should celebrate. And it's something we should never, ever forget or never stop fighting for, even when it's not popular. That's my job. And I hope you will consider joining me. Because together I'm going to make the case and I I encourage you to, to share it or take my arguments that I use if you like any of them and use them with your friends and your family. We got to make freedom cool again. We got to make America exceptional again. You can only do that by returning to your foundational principles and building your house once again, not in sand, but in stone. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support. I am so excited and slightly nervous to be back because I know what's coming. But I hope you'll consider joining me each and every week at Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. And we finish the show the way we always do. 
by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. The men and women who risks it all 24-7 for a brighter tomorrow. And this week we remember the 3,000 people who perished on September 11th. You are never going to be forgotten on this show. Your memory lives on and it always will. Until next week, God bless each and every one of you and God bless America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. 